those who believe the gospel, their lives testify to that belief. And there are others who believe something else, another message, a false gospel, as Paul says, not that there is another one. But these are important lessons, not just for the Galatians, but for us uh, as well in our day. Because I think as we go through the text, you'll find the same pressures facing the Galatians in your own life as well. I think every Christian does. Now, with that in mind, let's read our sermon text this morning. Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18. Paul says this, See with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul begins by emphasizing the size, the large letters that he has written, the Galatians, with his own hand, which is significant because he doesn't always do that. Writing was not an easy task in the ancient world. He often uses a personal signature at the end of his letters, kind of a stamp of his approval, like, say, in the Corinthian letters, in Second Thessalonians, Colossians, for example. That's because usually he would work with a secretary, that, would, that he would communicate to, they would write it down, and then he would maybe sign his name at the end. Uh, we do this today. Think about how we have uh, attorneys write up wills for us uh, with official documents. Uh, or maybe a manager would have an administrator write up a letter to the company and then sign his name uh, to save time. But Paul makes it a point to say, I'm doing the work here on my own because it's that important to me. And because I love you, that much. He's, he's showing emphasis in his care for them. Uh, I am uh, a little old-fashioned in this way, but I like cards for things like birthdays, uh, maybe holidays. I grew up receiving them, sending them. And, uh, you know, the thing about cards, it's great if you can find a good one. That's great if you can have a, a funny one. That's even better. Uh, but usually the value of the card is the personal letter that's written on the inside of it. Uh, that's usually what is felt uh, in the heart. That's what communicates the love and intentionality, uh, I think. Uh, but, you know, when someone gives you a card and they just use the poem on the inside of the card, which oftentimes can be very cheesy, it just doesn't quite communicate the same kind uh, of love. Now, if you're used to sending cards, it's still uh, a wonderful thing to do. Appreciate that. Show lots of appreciation for others who send you cards and don't include personal letters. My point is simply that I think Paul is showing some intentionality here uh, by mentioning the fact that he is personally writing them and writing them at length, these personal, this personal letter. 
That's what Paul is doing here. He's explaining what a priority uh, this topic is for him and for them. It's with that kind of earnestness that I want to show you three signs of authentic Christian faith in these verses. Three signs of authentic Christian faith. Uh, Paul mainly shows this first, I think, by pointing out the flaws in his opponents. Uh, But as a result, we see the positive example in Paul himself. Uh, So first, the first sign of authentic faith in Christ, we could say, is that it doesn't boast in external works, but on the cross. It does not boast in external works, but the cross. Right away, verse 12, Paul explains the motive behind the Judaizers' requirements for the Galatians. He says they're not concerned with their sanctification, nor are they concerned about the well-being of the Galatians. They only care about themselves. They care about their own image, uh, how they are portrayed to others, Uh, maybe because they were afraid to be associated with Paul's ministry, associated with uh, uncircumcised individuals. Uh, For Jews, that would have been completely contrary to the way that they were raised, Uh, and so that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, It's not hard to imagine because of what the rest of the New Testament also says about Uh, the Jews, and even Jewish Christians during Paul's day. Uh, If you read through the book of Acts, for example, it's clear that there are Jewish Christians uh, that have a hard time with the idea of Gentiles being included in the kingdom of God. And of course, Acts 15 uh, is a great debate about whether or not uh, the Christians should require Gentiles to be circumcised. And we read uh, the motto of, I think, the Judaizers in Galatians in Acts 15.1. He basically says, that those who are saved must be circumcised for their salvation. And that's what Paul is arguing against here. Uh, the Jerusalem council eventually lands there after being convinced by Paul and Barnabas. But remember back in chapter 2, Paul spoke of the influential Jews he met with in Jerusalem and then how false brothers crept into their meeting trying to find things against him. Uh, some Jews from Jerusalem heard about the ministry of Paul. Perhaps they wanted to have the same kind of recognition and renown that Paul had. They wanted to be seen as influential among the Gentiles. And so they were attempting to bring as many uh, Jewish proselytes as they could by requiring Gentiles to follow the law. Uh, Among the church fathers are many good apologists. Uh, One of them is Athanasius from the 4th century. Uh, And one of the proofs that he provides uh, about the truth of the gospel is the fact that when Christ came and preached good news, many Gentiles, specifically idol worshipers, turned from their idols and believed in Christ. Idolatry, which was universal all around the world, had never seen so many people leave their idols and believe in something else completely. Uh, Just an incredible point of what the salvation of uh, of all of these Gentiles, non-Jews, would have meant to the Jews and to the rest of the world. Well, the pitfall of the Pharisees, of course, according to Jesus, is also that they long to be seen a certain way. All right? They long to be seen in the market streets, wearing long robes, saying eloquent, long prayers, sitting in the seats of honor at great banquets, while on the inside uh, doing nothing for the worship of God, 
but doing all these things for their own glory. They follow the traditions of man in order to be seen. And I think some of that we see in these Jews here in Galatians as well. I think the application for us is we certainly should be wary of anything that seeks to boast in something other than the cross of Christ. We need to be careful that we don't boast in the wrong things, whether that be the better apologetic arguments, how well we know our Bibles, how many nations we send missionaries to as a denomination. The list goes on. There's always a temptation to seek some kind of external glory, a desire to see glory rather than, say, a focus on internal piety. So what does that look like in your own life? Do you care more about presenting yourself to others in a certain way while living differently in private? Do you accuse others of a lack of modesty as an excuse to overlook the lust in your own heart? Do you care more about how many books that you've read or podcasts you've listened to rather than your own personal holiness? Many of us long to see some kind of revival. We want to see more people come to Christ, more people fill our churches, of course. That desire in and of itself is not bad. But sometimes I think we're often tempted to be discouraged into thinking that if we aren't seeing those things happen, then God is losing the battle. And we get discouraged in our faith. Sometimes we even question our faith even though we can't see what God is doing in people's hearts. Oh, the only person's heart that you know is your own. So let this text be a challenge to you to examine yourself and see if you're putting any kind of priority on external appearance, on the opinion of others, and prioritizing that over your own devotion to God. Brothers and sisters, beware of looking for things to boast in other than the cross of Christ. It's amazing that Paul mentions boasting only in the cross himself because the cross is not the first thing that you would think about to boast of in his world. Today, in our culture, the cross is everywhere. It is very much a positive symbol. People use it in in ways to show that they believe in God, of course. Uh, But the cross in Paul's day was a gruesome tool for torture and execution. Uh, Even the word itself, uh, people would cringe when they said it. Uh, Even Romans themselves were not supposed to whisper that word, stauros, in a party. We don't really have an an equivalent today, but it, it would be kind of like boasting in a noose. Could you, could you imagine someone saying, God forbid that I should ever take pride in anything except the lynching of Jesus Christ, our Lord? Now, Paul says elsewhere that the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But it's in that weakness of Christ's sacrifice that sinners are reconciled to him. Therefore, salvation comes through the cross and nothing else. And it's humbling, isn't it? Because we have to admit that someone else had to die in our place because we fall short of God's glory. Friends, the way to glory is not to lift yourself up, but to make yourself low. 
The cross should remove all boasting of ourselves from our lips because the ground is level at the foot of the cross where we all need to go to be saved. So friends, do you use others like these Jews to make yourself look better? Examine your relationships for a few minutes inside the church. Are your relationships in your life because of what they can do for you? What others can give you or the way others make you feel? Or do you try to establish relationships because you know that God has called you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ and seek to do spiritual good to them? In marriage, if you're married, are you impatient with your spouse because you expect them to make you look better? And when they fall short of that expectation, you get frustrated. You're discontent because they make life harder and not easier. Or do you see yourself as a means that God intended to display Christ to them, to be an example of Christ to them, to build them up and to help them in their own faith? Now, brothers and sisters, if you have had those feelings towards a spouse, confess them to them. Uh, Repent of that sin, and instead uh, seek to do a better job building one another up so that you would represent Christ better together. Beware of any kind of pride that looks down on others. Instead, have the compassion and humility that Christ had, who lowered himself to the form of a man, uh, taking upon himself death, even death on a cross. Another point of application uh, that I think is helpful is to resist the temptation to take credit for the good things in life. Uh, Not to take away from hard work. Uh, Perhaps you have earned a a raise or some kind of recognition at work. Those are good things and you should work hard unto the Lord. Uh, But ultimately, it's the Lord's grace in your life that gives you these blessings. He's the giver of all good gifts. We need to remember that we are, at at our core being, unworthy sinners. Therefore, every blessing is a blessing from God, and He should be given the credit for it. Paul's point through the entire letter is not about doing good things externally, but that salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ. It is Christ that has done the work to save us, not we who do things to ensure our salvation. The Jews wanted to add Moses to Jesus. They wanted to say that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough, but that you also had to align your life with the Jewish teachings. And so they sought to exploit the Gentiles, the Galatian Christians, for their own glory. What's the first sign of authentic faith in Christ, uh, that it does not pay attention to external appearance, but rather uh, seeks to boast in Christ. The second is that it is not hypocritical, but a new creation. It's not hypocritical, but a new creation. Look again at verse 13 with me. He says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. And then he explains the value of circumcision in verse 15. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Uh, I remember 
uh, as a kid, go into the dentist. And uh, being young as I was, I saw the commercials for the big brands, right? Colgate, Crest. They were rivals as companies. They probably are the same company. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I asked my dentist. I thought, this is the professional. He will be able to tell me so that I make the right decision, take care of my teeth. Which do you recommend I use, Colgate or Crest? And uh, my dentist chuckled, and he said, I, re I recommend brushing. <laughs> Looking back now, I don't know if that was a comment about what he could tell about my own toothbrushing habits, uh, but it was a good lesson for me. It's like asking a doctor uh, what kind of bottled water you should be drinking. That doctor would probably say something like, I just recommend you be hydrated. Drinking water is, is a good thing. And I think Paul's point to the Galatians about circumcision is not so different from that. If someone were to ask the Apostle Paul if he recommended getting circumcised or not, he would probably say something like, I recommend trusting in Jesus. It doesn't matter if one is circumcised. It does not help you. And, being, and not being circumcised does not hurt you when it comes to salvation. It simply doesn't matter. But if someone is requiring it for salvation, then you're adding to the gospel. That was a part of the old order. It was a part of living under the law, what Paul calls bondage to sin. Because the law only reveals sin. It does not save us from it. Since nobody actually obeys the law perfectly. And that's where the matter of hypocrisy comes in for these Jews they themselves, though they want to require the, the Galatians to adhere to the law, they themselves don't even keep it. And Paul, of course, mentions circumcision as the example, but, but it wouldn't stop there. Because after circumcision, it would be something else. It would be, oh yeah, and you also need to honor the Sabbath. And, and then you need to also sacrifice, which would be a lie about the purpose of Christ's death. Literally, to perform more sacrifices would be to say that one more sacrifice is needed in some way because Christ's sacrifice was lacking in some way. It may have even expanded into following traditions. And eventually, you wouldn't have Christianity at all. You would just have Judaism. The Jews are still thinking in that old way. In their minds, they believe that it is about what you do, external acts, it is a salvation by works theology focused on external actions rather than matters of the heart. Like we talked about in the first point, it's what's internal that then leads to proper external acts. A true faith recognizes that we need more than simply external reform. Uh, my father-in-law often says Christianity is not just simply an exchange of worldviews. One, one worldview for another worldview with a different set of morals. Uh, that's not what it is. No, Jesus said that we need to be reborn. We need a second birth because we're born into sin and therefore need to be born again. We need to be washed not by water that removes dirt on the outside, but the cleansing of the Holy Spirit that washes us within. That's exactly what Jesus promised to those who turn away from their own desires and their own works and believe in his death and resurrection, devote their lives to serving King Jesus in everything they do. That's the new creation that Paul is speaking of. 
Uh, when someone believes in Jesus, they become a, a new person. The Holy Spirit dwells within them. And the result is belief that then leads to those fruits of the Spirit. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are a new creation, and there are those who are not a new creation. This is the rule of Christianity, that we need to be cleansed on the inside, which cannot be done by our own efforts, but by the Holy Spirit. Circumcision is just not part of the equation. Remember what Paul said in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16? He said, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. To be a new creation is to be truly included in the family of God. It's to be a recipient of the promises made to Abraham. It's to be one of his offspring. The Jews often boasted in their lineage, and to that Paul said in chapter 3, verse 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In Romans 2, Paul said something similar. He said, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision a matter of the heart. If we preached legalism, uh, then we would be hypocrites. Because legalism is a distortion of Christianity. It demands perfection, even though we ourselves are not perfect. It focuses on external actions rather than a posture of the heart. Uh, I love the story about one pastor who was on a plane talking with uh, a person next to him. And as they were talking, uh, the person on the plane found out that he was a pastor, and he asked if she ever goes to church. And she said, oh, I used to, but now I don't go anymore. And he said, why not? And she said, well, the church is just full of wicked people. And he responded very gently, very gently and said, do you think those outside the church are any better? And he said, you see, I actually, I think uh, that we in the church are different because we know that we're wicked people. And we have to trust the righteousness of another. I'm paraphrasing at this point. I don't know if this is exactly what he said. But the main point was that Christians have an awareness of our sin. We know that we are in need of the grace of God. We don't think ourselves as perfect, not in any way. For the internal obedience to God, we need a change of heart, a new creation. So what about you, friends? Have you experienced this new creation in your life, this new birth? For those who are convicted of their sins and trust in Christ, it changes us and then produces the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have the evidence of that fruit in your life that you can point to? Uh, perhaps you are here this morning and you're not sure uh, whether or not you have gone through that kind of transformation a friend, if that's you, the most important thing for you to do is to pray to God and ask for Him to change you in that way. Oh, confess Jesus as Lord over your life. The change you're looking for is not going to come from your own effort. 
you must embrace Christ and ask for him to change you instead. Notice the result of being a new creation in verse 16. He says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God likely means the true Israel. Just like the true offspring of Abraham are those who believe in Christ, it's the same group. He's saying also the Israel of God. Those who boast in the cross for salvation and who are a new creation have peace and mercy. Peace because God is the God of peace. And he rules over all things. He's creator and judge. Therefore, any true peace comes from him and peace because his wrath has been poured out on Christ. Mercy because your sins are forgiven. The assurance that the blood of Christ covers your sin is mercy because it is not what we deserve. Mercy is unmerited favor. And his mercy to us in Christ never ends. It is not possible to be made into a new creation and then for his mercy to run out. And this is the beauty of the gospel that Jesus, our great shepherd, keeps all that the Father has given to him. Now, he doesn't lose a single one. Therefore, we can have peace. That peace is not possible with law observance because we'll always fall short of the law. So brothers and sisters, in your walk with Christ, don't just remember what Christ did. Certainly remind yourself of the cross. Boast in the cross. Have confidence in it. But remember what the cross has made you to be. A new creation. Being a new creation should lead to a new life a new identity. It's that new creation that binds us together as uh, the local church uh, because we are not just reconciled to God but reconciled to one another, uh, adopted into his family and then united with other brothers and sisters, many members but one body with Christ at the head. Well, the first sign of authentic faith in Christ is that it doesn't boast in external works but only in the cross. Second, it is not hip hypocritical, but a new creation. And third, authentic faith, it does not fear man, but is willing to suffer for Christ. It does not fear man, but is willing to suffer for Christ. Now, that's Paul's other critique of the Jews, that they fear persecution for the sake of Christ. Look at verse 12 again. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh for the sake of Christ. Sorry, let me read that again. My eyes skipped lines. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They not only want to use them for boasting, they not only require them to keep the standard that they themselves can't keep, but they also were motivated by the fear of being persecuted for associating with the uncircumcised. We often think of persecution in the early church as coming from the Romans. Uh, and later on, certainly, there was uh, terrible emperors that, that persecuted Christians greatly, would throw them in the arena even. Uh, but early on, in the earliest stages of Christianity, persecution primarily came from the Jews. 
Uh, think about what Paul himself was doing prior to being converted. Uh, then he was named Saul, standing by, watching Stephen get stoned, giving approval, going from town to town, ravishing the church. Now think of how Jesus himself was crucified, even though Pilate gave the Jews three opportunities to release him, saying he didn't see any guilt in him, yet the Jews demanded he be crucified. Now these things occurred because Jews viewed Christianity as a, a heretical sect of Judaism. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, descended from David according to the flesh. He made himself out to be gone by pronouncing forgiveness of sins, saying that he and the Father were one. So for Jews, converting to Christianity, there was great persecution. And we know that from the way that Paul was treated by his counterparts, facing riots and mobs in synagogues when he would go and preach. These Judaizers wanted to avoid that kind of persecution. They wanted to say they believed in Jesus, but they didn't want to be persecuted for him. And their fear caused them to compromise their faith by requiring Gentile converts to obey the law and then boasting in their own glory. Oh, that's a sign that someone's faith is not authentically Christian. They're willing to compromise because of fear of man more than fear of God in some way. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not talking about merely experiencing the fear. Uh, we all experience the temptation and fear of man that's normal. Certainly, with fear of violence, we are very fortunate to live in a safe uh, country, uh, to be Christians. Uh, there are many Christians in parts of the world that face death threats from family members for converting. Uh, and those Christians worry about us in the West uh, because they feel their faith has been tested and refined through uh, that kind of persecution, uh, where ours has not. Uh, I think there is something to that, brothers and sisters, so we need to be prepared for the world to treat us with the same kind of disgust that it treated our Savior Jesus. Now, Jesus himself warned his disciples in Matthew 10. He said, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if they have called master of the house of Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? And those are not the typical verses that we put on our uh, gospel tracks on our evangelism tracks, are they? Follow Jesus, you might be put to death. Your family might hate you. Uh, it's not the most attractional message, I think, for those. Uh, we often love talking about the rewards of Christianity, and we should. They're true and they're good. Uh, but we must not forget to communicate the cost of following Jesus accurately. A pastor friend of mine said that when he thinks of the gospel, he goes through a God-man, Christ response, and then he likes to add cost at the end. He likes to add the reminder that following Christ might be costly. We don't want to mislead people. If we only speak of the rewards in heaven, the forgiveness of sins, the fellowship with his spirit, with no cost. Why would anyone refuse that kind of message? 
And they might refuse if they fear persecution. And following Jesus might require it. They may fear losing close relationships or may commit career suicide for a biblical ethic. And they may have to choose between a sinful lifestyle and following Jesus. And they really don't want to do that. And for the rich young ruler, think about him. The cost of following Jesus was all of his possessions, and that cost to him was too high. Christ was not that valuable. So, brothers and sisters, does your gospel presentation need adjusting as well? Are you guilty of sharing the gospel without explaining the cost of following Christ? Jesus himself said, if anyone would follow him, he must take up their cross. They must do exactly what Paul articulated in verse 14. They must die to the world, and the world must be dead to them. Uh, to follow a dying Savior is, is to die oneself. It's dying to the world's ambitions and desires. It's to, fire, to, to follow a higher calling. It's to count the world as rubbish because of the surpassing worth of Christ, knowing Him and Him crucified. Now, we do a disservice to people when we don't prepare them for the cost of following Jesus. But the good thing is that it gives us an opportunity to affirm that no matter the suffering or loss one experiences, that it'll be worth it for Jesus. That to be found in Him is far more satisfying, far more joyful, far more worthy of anything else this life has to offer. So the Jews avoid persecution for Christ. Now compare that with what Paul says in verse 17. He says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Some have taken from these words to mean that uh, literal kind of images or uh, pictures of the wounds of Christ have shown up on him, and it has led to people throughout history claiming similar phenomena in their own life, seeing some kind of vision and having strange markings show up on them. It's very interesting. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not saying he had an imprint of Christ's wounds on his body. Uh, the word here used to describe these marks is the same word that you would use to describe tattoos or, or branding, which in his day is commonly associated with worship and to slavery. It's like Paul is saying he's marked with the branding of God, his master. But Paul means to say that his physical scars that he has accrued through real persecution over the years are a testimony for his faithfulness and devotion to Christ. Now, we know from what he has said in 2 Corinthians, Paul himself was stoned. He was imprisoned, lashed five times by the Jews, beaten with rods three times. Uh, this is a man who probably looked like Rambo uh, if he were to take his shirt off. The man knew what it was to suffer. Uh, he considered his scars a testimony to the world, to the fact that he was not willing to compromise on the gospel to avoid pain. I think of Christ's word who instructs us not to fear the one who can destroy the body, but to fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. And I think we can learn something from the fact that Paul writes about his scars in the verse right after the blessing for peace and mercy for all who walk in a new creation. Uh, despite all the things that Paul has endured, he has peace. 
he had mercy. Those things cannot be taken away from the believer, no matter what. We have peace with God through Christ because we have the Spirit of Christ and the promise of eternity. We are the recipients of mercy because our sins have been forgiven. Brothers and sisters, know that no matter what you go through in life, your confidence is the cross that brings a peace that cannot be taken away. You too will have mercy. It's possible to gain the whole world yet lack these two things, peace and mercy. But it's not possible to gain Christ and lack mercy and peace. Paul's final line in the letter is another reminder of his love for the Galatian Christians. Just as he began the letter, he reminds them of the grace of Christ. It's his way of saying, I have said all that I can say. I love you dearly. And now all I can do is pray that you will persevere in your faith. Stand firm and boast in Christ, in the gospel that unites us together. The sum of the whole layer is found in the final appeal. That circumcision is of no value when it comes to salvation. Only new creation is of value. Only a complete change from within occurs through the work of the cross. Paul demonstrates what this authentic faith in Christ looks like by not boasting in works but the cross, by being a new creation rather than a hypocrite, and by his willingness to suffer for the sake of Christ. Dear friends, does your faith in Jesus match up with these three things? I pray that by God's grace and the work of the Spirit in your life, it will be so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise for your mercy to us in Christ. The cross, which was a brutal instrument, is our boast because it is through that tool that you secured our redemption. And so we give you praise and thanks. We pray that we would live lives that commend the gospel as new creations, that our lives would bear the fruit of the Spirit, testifying to your glory. In Christ.